0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: Where are you? I am
0: currently in Lancashire in my friend's kitchen, um, because obviously, as you know, yesterday I had a little bit of problems. So I've, been, I've he's been kind enough to borrow me his um, laptop and his mic as well. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And who are you? Hi, I'm Shanae's Reed.
1: Sinead you're at a friend's house right now but let's just imagine you are back at home and you still live uh, in Crewe in Cheshire right?
0: No I don't actually live there anymore I've I moved out of there at 16 so I live in a place called Poynton in Cheshire.
1: Ah so just at the road not too far then from Crewe but if we were able to ride together like I normally do in normal times with guests on home roads where would you where would you take me?
0: I think like in Cheshire there's some beautiful roads um, and I think I probably I kind of head out to like Mobley and Knutsford then to Tatton Park and do like a loop there's like a three hour loop that I usually do um, but there's so many beautiful spots there's, there's brickworks that is just like a stone throw from my house I'm not into into hills so I, I only go there occasionally if I have to um, I'm kind of into like the flat sort of sort of roads but yeah
1: there's so many different riding spots where I live Flat roads, because of course, you know, you're all about speed and power. That's a, that's a given.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and obviously us, us um, sprinters get the rap of being a little bit lazy when it comes to hills.
1: Have you always ridden on the road or has that just come later? Or was that always part of the training for BMX and track?
0: It's always been kind of implemented in the training that I did from joining British Cycling, really. Prior to that, I never I never did any road. It's all about kind of just doing like BMX drills and BMX sprints and gym Um, And then obviously, as we got more educated within British cycling and the sports scientists were looking into things, uh, the component of the training then became on the road. Do you enjoy it? Um, when the weather's like this, there's no better thing to be doing than riding your bike. When it's cold and wet and rainy um, in the winter where, where you know, in Manchester, not so much, but it was part and parcel of what I did. So anything, you know, that I didn't particularly like in training, I just got on with it because I knew it was only going to get me, you know, faster for, for when I needed to be.
1: And then the other question about riding at the moment is, do you get back on the BMX? Do you get back on the track even at the moment?
0: You know, it's funny. Like I haven't been on a BMX for oh, maybe a couple of years, and actually, while, I'm, while I've been at my friend's house today, um, that's where I've been. I've been at the BMX track riding. Um, I just, I just thought, oh, it'd be good to kind of get back on and just have a little bit of fun on the bike, and that's what I've been doing for the last few hours. How did it feel? Do you know? It was weird because I was, I was saying to my friend Sam, like. When I don't put my helmet on and I just look at a BMX track, I'm on the sideline, I just think these are crazy. But when I put my helmet on and then get on a BMX, it's like my alter ego and then I'm just like switched straight back into BMX mode and just love it. Like I'm back enjoying it and I feel good on my bike. Um, But, yeah, I can do it at my pace and, you know, I don't have to chase any numbers down or anything like that. So, yeah, no, it's it's weird. Like I haven't been on for a good few years but still feel like I haven't. It's not been that long since I left it.
1: Like nothing to prove, of course, anymore. But do the competitive juices start? Do they start flowing?
0: Yeah, I think they do. But I have to, you know, really remind myself that this, you know, the risk versus reward sort of thing. Um, and yeah, my mind and my body are kind of like fighting each other. And I'm, I'm a bit like, because so, so many people say, "Oh, why don't you make a comeback? You know, you could beat most of the girls that's out there." And I'm just like, for me, I feel like I got my full fulfillment through the sport of BMX and track cycling, um, and it just wouldn't add any value to my life now. So I just always always have to remind myself that, you know, it was a, it was something that I did for 20 years, and and now I'm in, you know, the next chapter of my life.
1: Well, we'll come back to the next chapter, but I'd like to go back to the start of the the whole bicycling. Experience because you did grow up in Crew. You grew up just with your mum. I think I'm right in saying. And then, so when did BMX start to be a part of your life?
0: Yeah, I grew. Up, my mum had me. Well, she was pregnant at 16 and had me at 17. And I lived with her for a few years, kind of on and off. And then, like, kind of fully moved in with my nan and granddad, who kind of took over a little bit, um, and who's been like the biggest supporters of mine. And my like my grandmother's like my role model. Um, and then I started BMX when I was 10 and, and that was, yeah, I never knew what BMX even was when I was at that age. But my uncle's two kids did it and he would always come around and, you know, catch up with my granddad. And I'd just be always like, like my ears would prick up when he was like talking about the stories, like we've been here this weekend and we're going there and, you know, the barbecue was going, had a great time. And I'd always be just like intrigued as to, you know, what the sport was. And he said, oh, like the club now has got some bikes, like hire bikes where you can hire them out for a pound. Why don't you give it a go? And then literally, as soon as I went, I absolutely loved it.
1: it just, well, just fell in love with it, just knew this this was the thing you wanted to do. Did you know it would be even a career at that point or was it just something you wanted to have fun doing?
0: Um, well, I didn't know it was going to be a career because obviously BMX wasn't in the Olympics. It was only introduced in 2006 or 2007 that was going to be an Olympic discipline. Um, And then obviously in 2008 was the Olympics. Um, But for me, I was – it's really strange. Like, I always knew from the very – like, the first few months when I got into it that that's what I was going to do. Like, it didn't matter if it paid the bills. It didn't matter if I was – You know, like, it just, I had no barriers there. I just loved this sport. And I'd be in school in the classroom, like, drawing little BMX tracks. And, like, it was just, like, it took over my life. Like, I absolutely loved it. Any spare minute I got, I was at the track. Summer holidays, I was there from the morning through, till you know, till it got dark. And it just, like, I just loved it. And I was like, I don't know how, I don't know, you know, what it looks like, but I am going to make this my career. And then, luckily, as it unfolded, it became my career.
1: I really want to talk about representation right now right at the start in in BMX in cycling in general actually because you're mixed race your mum is from the Irish family your dad who I know you haven't spent much time with over the years uh from the Caribbean am I right in saying
0: yeah from Jamaica yep yeah.
1: Yeah, so so, we, were you the only brown face uh, doing BMX at the time? Were there anyone else to look up to that looked like you or did you feel, did, what, what, what did it feel like at the time?
0: Well, the only thing that felt different when I first started BMX was that I was at my BMX tracking crew because I was the only female. Like that was the only difference because the guy that run the club Um, And the reason why I loved it as well and he made it enjoyable was a guy called, he'd labeled himself this, I'm not labeling him, Black Bob. And he was a a Jamaican guy and he was just like full of energy. He was, you know, like enthusiastic. He he didn't know anything scientifically, but he would just put training drills together. And people like Jamie Staff and who raised BMX there and all these like greats of the sport would travel from, all across the country to come and train at crew BMX track because Bob was infectious. And he, he, everyone used to say he produces champions. So in that respect, you know, the coach was black and everybody else was white and I was, you know, mixed race and, and yeah, I, I never had any barriers and, or felt different in any way because, you know, our figurehead was a, a black man.
1: Because there's another BMXer that I've talked to about this and are hoping to talk to on home roads called Charlie Reynolds. Uh, and when I was a kid in the 80s, the big BMXer was a guy called Andy Ruffle, who I looked up to. He had a team rally bike. It was the coolest looking BMX you'd ever seen. And Charlie was just as skillful, but never got the exposure that Andy had had, there was clearly a difference then. Do you think Black Bob, as you as you mentioned there, and you coming through the sport helped to change it?
0: Do you know something? I never can even like considered you know being of a different colour because I think for me I was brought up in a white household, like so. It was almost like I felt like I was white. If that—that I mean, that sounds silly, but it was only when I look at the color of my skin, I'm like, okay, I'm different. But in my house, everyone was white. So, you know, my mom had other children and they were white. And so I my brothers and sister was, was, was white. So I always never really thought about my color of my skin. Um, and I think, like, I've always been extremely lucky and I'm super, super grateful that I never had you know any missed opportunities or you know like even when I kind of the sport got more mainstream I always had really good media attention around me worked on some amazing projects and I never had any you know I, I, I've done a few interviews recently but I've never had any any barriers put in my way because of my race um it's just been I'm Sinead Reed the BMXer and yeah that's that's how it's been for me
1: it's good to hear that the, your out-and-out out talent for it is what won through. I mean, and that's how it should be, frankly, isn't it? When did that start to become apparent? When did you start to realise that, actually, I'm pretty good at this, this is something I could compete at?
0: I think in in the second uh, – I started in 1999 and then in 2000, because in BMX it was age categories, so you could race like the 11 girls, the 12 girls, and until you get to junior – and I went to the European Championships as uh, 11 and raced the 11 girls. And I've got European Champion. And I've been on my bike for, I mean, so it would have been around just under a year. And I've become European Champion. And no other rider from Great Britain had won the European Championships, not not on that day. And, and there was the first female for for many, many years. And I remember, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's okay. And I got back in the stands, in the grandstands. And, like, the whole of, the, like, the, you know, the people watching, all the fans, like, they were chucking me up and down and was like, oh, like, this is incredible. Like, people were crying. Like, it's amazing for UK BMX. And I was just like, oh, wow, that, you know, I've just only run a bike race. And I think slowly from there, you know, I won the uh, the world championships a few years later when I could afford to go. And, yeah, I guess when I first won, even because it was amateur world championships, I guess I was thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. And as soon as I won that, I was like, I want to be the very best that's ever lived as a female to race a BMX
1: bike. And you went on, on the BMX to be a five times world champion. When you reflect on that achievement, and we're not even talking about track yet, because obviously you've had achievements there as well. But when you reflect on being a five times world champion, in BMX do you you must feel incredibly proud or do you think do you have to pinch yourself and think that that was someone else I can't believe I did that
0: yeah I think I think it's a mixture of both really because I've been away from the sport for a little while now and gone through my mental health issues and other things and you know it was it was weird like every time I won I never like this is why I try and live in so much in the moment and, and be present in the day because all the competitions and the world championships and everything that I won, I was just like, right, okay, now i to the next one. And it was almost like I didn't, like, you know, I didn't um, appreciate what I'd just achieved because I felt like, you know, well, my granddad was great. Like my granddad's a great guy, but he'd always say, there's always someone better than you out there. So it kept me firmly on the ground, but I never then appreciated what I'd achieved. And then when I retired, I was just like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the old me that's what I used to do and you know I can't can't live off that forever so I kind of just dismissed it like if you go into my house there's no like medals up there's no world champs jerseys and it's in this kind of the last I guess in lockdown I've been kind of thinking you know what like what I did achieve in the sport and the amazing stories I get from parents that got into the sport because of me maybe I should be a little bit more proud of what I did achieve um so yeah it's something I'm going through at the moment actually
1: you sound exactly like sir Bradley wiggins saying that he said those words to me before he yeah. he never he never enjoyed it when he was winning those uh, olympic medals that he got yeah. he doesn't even bother with the the medals now he just sees them as objects and they don't reflect how he really feels about himself these days uh, and he he couldn't enjoy it at the time uh, you know he a couple of times he got silver when he should have got gold and that was the biggest disappointment when you think actually you still got a medal that someone else didn't get. Yeah, does that, does that resonate with you?
0: Yeah, because I've won two silver medals, and one was when me and Victoria. So we won in two thousand seven and two thousand eight, and in two thousand nine we got silver at the World Championships um, in the team sprint. The Australians beat us, and then I got a silver. Um, I got a silver at the time trial BMX World Championship when it was a silver at, when it was a UCI event. I won the first year it got introduced in two thousand eleven. And in 2012, I got silver and I've had my mum my had all my medals framed, um, put into like a frame. And I said, whatever you do, do not add them silver medals. Like they're just shoved under my nan's bed. Like I just don't even acknowledge them because I'm like, that was a failure. Like that was the first loser. Um, and that's how I see, that's how I used to, you know, see things. Whereas actually, like you said, if you take a step back, I'm like, wow, you got a silver medal at the World Championships. That's great. But I didn't see it like that.
1: Um Was that drilled into you? Was that the sort of the, the the cycling setup that you were in because that's true of of what Brad said
0: you know I think British cycling is you know it becomes such a big kind of entity, and you know everyone was kind of in every discipline was doing really really well winning medal after medal. And it just become like the norm to win a, a, a UCI jersey, like to be the world champion. That was just the norm. So therefore, if you felt that was the norm, how do you then feel excited or, you know, all the things you should feel because everybody else was doing it and everyone would pat you on the back. Like, oh yeah, well done. And, but it was just another gold medal. Um, so I think like the, the environment in itself, like I think it was amazing and it was I pre- um, a pleasure to have been a part of it and proud to have been a part of it. But at the same time, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was just what it was. It was a, kind of a stressful environment at times because you just felt like, you, you know, like to be successful was to win.
1: But also, Sinead, at the time, you know, you were at the kind of peak of your powers around the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, 2012 as well. And obviously, it didn't come off. You were pushing it to the limits, and uh, and didn't get the gold that you deserved to either of those, and didn't walk away with a medal. Um, that that happens. I mean, that just happens, especially if you're pushing it right to the limits. What I do want to talk about, though. Is some of the people who would take a pop at you, you know, some of the people who accuse you of being a bit of a rock star, I mean, like Jamie Staff at the time saying you were living in, in La La Land, that sort of thing. That that must have hurt.
0: Yeah, it, you know, you know something that was it really really hurt me because i seen Jamie, like one of the, the reasons, the very reason I got into track cycling by accident, why uh, I raced the, the World Championships, and we can talk about that, was because Jamie went from BMX to track. And I used to always look up to him, like I was always compared to him, like the powerhouse of BMX. and And then obviously I went onto the track and ended up being successful on there. And then out of nowhere, like he hadn't come to me and said that, them things, or that he was going to write, uh, you know, say them things about me in the press, and and I look back, and I was just a kid, like, I was 18 in Beijing Olympics, like, and 19 that year, but I was just a kid, and I just felt like, you know, if he had some respect, or a little bit more respect for me, and, you know, like, he, he said he did, I just felt like it was really hurtful, and I guess, you know, like, we he's apologized now, and we chat, and, you know, we get on, but it did hurt at the time, and but I just guess I was, I guess, a little vulnerable girl, really, in this big entity of British cycling that just loved riding the BMX bike. And I happened to go into the Olympics and I happened to, you know, not win the biggest race of my life. And then bang, like it was just a lot to take on. And I think within them few years, um, yeah, I had success still. But I think that's when things started to fall apart, really.
1: Well, come on to that because you did mention before racing on the track with Vicky Victoria Pendleton, of course, one of our greatest track cyclists ever. It, it, it's you, you make it sound so easy. Of course, I was a powerhouse on a BMX. And I just switched the track. That's pretty hard work. There's a real, I've raced on the track. There's real discipline to holding your position, to dealing with the G-forces going around the cornering, uh, and also, of course, to not stop pedaling because it's fixed. Yeah. Um, that You make that transition sound so easy, but I'm sure it wasn't.
0: It was. It was easy, you know, because this is the thing. People underestimate, not everyone, but people underestimate how hard BMX is and the skill set and the training that goes in. You know, some people tell us just people, adults on kids bikes or whatever. But then actually, when they're in the gym, when people start seeing us in the gym and how strong we were, way stronger than than the track riders, we were putting way more power out on the watt bikes than any of the track riders. Um, and then for me, I my granddad, I was I have to go back to my grandmother again, but he was like, a bike's a bike, and that was my mentality. So when I told him, oh, I think I'm going to go to the world championships he was like, oh, cool, that's you know, a bike's a bike, you just got to pedal it fast. And I was like, yeah, so I just kept everything simple. Like, I didn't overanalyze things. I I, I asked what I needed to do and broke down the start and, and executed what I needed to do. And I was just like, okay, yeah, that's way easier than BMX. I don't have to worry about 40-foot jumps. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only held on the gate by, you know, like some little brake pads. I'm not balancing on an eight-meter ramp high start ramp. And all I've just got to do is open the gas up and just go. And for me, that was just like, simple so yeah it sounds you know it sounds like oh yeah it could have been hard but it was just riding the bike around a circled track basically
1: but i think it's like even like road cyclists who try and do it on the track and in the past few years around the hour record a few road time trialers thought oh, i'll have a go at that and they they're not useless but they can't get uh the skill required to stay on the black line for example they can't the discipline of riding track It takes a while, right?
0: Yeah, I had six weeks. Like from the moment I got onto the track to when I become crown world champion in Victoria, it took six. It was a six week process, and it was never about me coming onto the track to try and race. It was because Manchester was rainy; it was wet. We didn't have an indoor, and I was just like, I need to be able to get the best out of myself to go into this Olympics and be able to train without being affected by the weather. Um, And it was, I think, I think for me, like, I just try and always simplify things. And I would look and analyze how, you know, how people was, you know, doing a start. And then this is the thing with my personality. I've got an addictive personality. I would just break it down, look what I needed to do, um, and, yeah, go out there and do it. And I guess if you go back to what you were saying about the road guys, you know, when they tried to do it on the track, but then if you look at some of them top road guys, like I know Sagan and I know, you know, Cavendish, they've all been from a BMX background. And again, it boils down to them skill sets that you need to be able to be an elite level BMX rider. They're transferable into other cycling disciplines.
1: When you were at the top of the tree, apart from people having a bit of a go, because well, who knows why they had a go, Did you did you feel any... Prejudice then and not just prejudice because of the colour of your skin but maybe because of your gender maybe because of your sexuality have you you experienced prejudice on those terms
0: no I I didn't but I just never really felt like I fitted in like in terms of directly not at all but I never really felt you know I was the only person of colour at British Cycling to start with so that was a you know, like that you just look around you and you feel a little bit different. I didn't have the background of, you know, some of the upbringings of the other people that are like from a council estate and and stuff. So in that respect, I did feel very different and I didn't feel like I fitted in. And then obviously when, you know, a few people came out and said I'm a rock star, I felt like I was a, she seemed like she was a rock star and everything. It was just like, okay, you're not saying that about anybody else. And I just felt a little bit like... You know, why are they being like that with me when I feel like I'm an open person, you can come directly to me. Um, But yeah, if that was the color, I don't feel like it was to the color of my skin, but I just didn't feel like I quite fitted in within that British cycling system.
1: Because, you know, obviously the conversation now certainly stemming from the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and every area of life, quite rightly, is being looked at. And I think it's probably safe to say that everybody carries a bit of prejudice with them, whoever they are, regardless of what they think. It's in the system. It's in the system we all live in. Um, are you sort of reflecting on that now? Are you Are you looking back at your experience and thinking, actually, Maybe that was racism or maybe that was prejudice uh, against uh, who I am.
0: No, I can't. I can only ever be honest. And I, and I don't feel like directly there was any racism like towards me, which is is, is is a great position to be in, because I know not a lot of people or other people, you know, who are mixed race or are black can say that within sport. Um, but, yeah, I think certainly with what every, everything that's going on and the energy and, you know, that's being put in direct directed to the Black Lives Matter is, is amazing. I think, you know, there's obviously um, it's political and some people are you know saying all lives matter. But for me, I think, you know, this is happening and people do need to stand up and be, you know, do more. People, everyone even myself like that's not saying all white people should do more for black people but I do feel like as well more black people could do more you know I think it's 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 um it's kind of a thing that it needs everyone to put you know more behind it but I think for me I, I feel like there's a lot of positivity around it just people listening and waking up about it
1: all do you see the positive impact you've had? Do you see more kids uh, of varying backgrounds coming into the sport that you love?
0: Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like for me, if you look at the BMX programme, three of the five riders are black or mixed race from Peckham. And and they got into the sport because they see me in 2008 at the Olympics. So that in itself is... Yeah, it makes me super proud to, you know, I've watched them grow from little kids and the not so little now, the you know, the big guys now. Um, but that in itself, like if you look on the track side, you can't really say there's many mixed race or black people there. Um it's very much middle class white people, whereas the BMX is, you know, more heavily weighted towards the mixed race people and, and it and if I've helped be that role model and, and you know, be that, you know, I can do this too, then fantastic.
1: And you have hung up your cycling shoes for the time being certainly in terms of racing but not without going out on on a bit of a high finally last year you were crowned a british national champion uh in the team sprint that's a pretty good way to go out
0: yeah exactly i think for me like i had retired from from all competition and, and last year i got national champion and that was um, something that I got asked if I would come back, and I went back into, and I said, "Yeah, okay, I'll come back, but I don't want—I don't want to be funded. I just want to get the bike and the kit, and and, and I'm good." I said because the reason why I am coming back now—you've asked me several times—I said is because I know in my heart that the last two two years, probably in my career that isn't how I wanted my representation to be left or my, you know, my footprints to be left. Um, I just didn't feel like I did myself justice. um, And I wanted to end my career on my terms on how, you know, I wanted to be, to be perceived by all the younger kids and stuff in the academy and, and actually look to me as a role model. So I came back purely because I wanted to end my career my last chapter exactly how i wanted to and if that got us to the olympics amazing it only got us to the nationals because some stuff got messed up basically with the coach and and yeah we i was meant to go to the world championships but yeah we got it it got messed up a little bit so yeah i was i was more than happy and now i can look back and go you know what i did it my way and that's that's just
1: perfect for me and slightly fortunate for you as well that the Olympics got messed up for everybody anyway because it's not happening now until until next year. So maybe it was meant to be that way.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think things happen for a reason as well. And, you know, I may not have an Olympic medal of any colour to, to add to my collection, but for me... I did have, you know, some incredible memories. I went, you know, I did my very best and that's all you can ever do in life is your best. And, and for me, I just, you know, I look at the Olympics and go, yeah, I couldn't, you know, couldn't get a medal, but I really enjoyed going to both Olympics.
1: I know we're not riding alongside each other on those Cheshire roads. I really wish we were. But I am sitting here uh, grinning from the ear to ear because it's such an inspiration. And that's a word that's bandied around far too much. But it really is inspirational to hear you say, say that, to have a positive outlook on it. Because you, you've achieved an awful lot of positive things. I, I remember it like yesterday watching you race BMX uh, and watching you on the track as well. I'm thinking, hang on, how's she gone from there to there? And to hear you explain it is brilliant. I, I think it would be important, though, to, to finish off because you touched on on mental health issues there. Those are other things as well, like the prejudice we've discussed before that in previous times have not been talked about. Enough. I think mm-hmm. the whole world seems like it's in a more listening mood now, as it really should be. Yeah. Uh, and you sound like you're in a in a happier place yourself as well.
0: For me, I've never been in a better place mentally and physically. Really, I've never. Yeah, I'm just so content on being in my own skin and yeah I'm always I'm I'm very much about um reflection and you know how can I be a better human being you know what do I offer to society not do, what do I take from society but what do I offer even like my friend groups you know people I invite into my friend groups are for a reason but what do I actually give back to them friends and family and and I'm very much about that now being more mindful of others, um, But yeah, I think for me, I'm in a fantastic place and mental health, I guess, even coming out of the lockdown and everything with Floyd and, and all the kind of negativity that's been weighing people down. I think it is great. Like That's been one of the biggest reasons why I've spoken and been, you know, openly and active surrounding mental health because it has hit me hard in the past. And yeah, I just wanted to see just to be open and vulnerable and allow myself to tell my story on how I did it. And if it helps other people, then brilliant.
1: I, I think it does. And look, you know, pe- people may have said this term in the wrong way before, but I think you are a rock star. <laughs> I think I think you're an absolute rock star. And I think it, it's been brilliant to to, to listen to you, Sinead. Thanks so much.
0: No, thank you, Matt. It's been great.
3: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.